with me to, uh, we're not going to uh, be in the book of Luke today, and we won't be in the book of Luke next week. Um, next Sunday, uh, the Lord put a message on my heart that is really for 2016, so I'll hold that. Uh, those of you who are out of town, you're welcome to stay one more week if you want to hear uh, what the Lord is going to be doing, at least, I believe, uh, in uh, us and through us in the coming year, and, and things that He's really kind of laid uh, on my heart, and to some extent as well, uh, the rest of the leadership, and we'll be uh, sharing more of uh, what the Lord is showing us later in January on uh, Sunday, January the 24th. We call that Ministry Sunday, and so I'm excited about what we'll be uh, kind of unveiling on that day as well. But at least next Sunday, it'll be a special topical message. Really, what, what does the Lord want for this body uh, in the coming year? And it's, it's all straight out of the Scriptures, but, uh, but I do think that there's some things that God is uh, kind of angling us towards and really reminding us or stirring up within us. And today, I want us to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. I'll be glad to get one in your hand. Anyone that doesn't have a Bible, please put up your hand and we'll be glad to get you one. Uh, but Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading with verse 10. I was going to do just verses 12 through 16, but it's kind of hard to, to uh, grasp the full meaning of uh, uh, verses 12 through 16 without at least uh, understanding some of the verse above it. So we'll start with verse 10, verses 10 through 16, Philippians chapter 3. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many are as mature, have this mind. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. And you love that verse. And if you think anyways, you'll come around eventually is what Paul's saying. <laughs> Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And Lord, we ask now for your spirit to speak through your word. Uh, use your servant. Use your people, Lord, to collectively embrace and understand what it is that you're speaking to us. And Lord, that we'd apply these things in our life. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. This time of year for me, I, I, I think it is for you. I know it is for all pastors. I you know, talk to other pastors, uh, the ones I follow on Twitter, and you know, the day after Christmas, you know, our minds are going eight million directions. But I think for all people, this time of year is a pivot point. It's a pivot point of kind of, you're kind of collecting your thoughts about, you know, how did the year go? Did I avoid chocolate as much as I thought I would? Right? You know, you're looking back and you realize, no, I, I didn't do real well in that. And, uh, and just when I was doing good, I got 8 million pieces of chocolate around Christmas time and uh, I couldn't say no to them all and all the things. But you kind of look back and, and kind of collect uh, and assess your own life and how things went. And, and, and maybe you're in an organization where you kind of look at the larger structure or your own family structure. But you're also looking forward because you know that the calendar is about to flip. 
not only for the month, but it's a new year, and uh, you're thinking about the New Year's resolutions and all the things that, uh, uh, that come with setting new plans or new goals. And if you're not, I think you should be. Those are, those are all good things. Uh, the Bible ta- talks about us you know, taking stock and understanding, uh, taking an inventory, if you will. Paul said, let a man examine himself, kind of understand, where am I at? It's good to do it in all ways. Uh, health, our spiritual life, our family life, relationships, all of those things. But I want to really look at uh, what Paul is addressing here, this pressing on, this pressing toward. And really, what is the guidance that he's giving us? What is the, uh, what is the tip of the air? What's the most key thing to understand about pressing forward? Because it's not always easy to press forward. Usually anything worth attaining is going to have a lot of difficulty in it. it every day is not Christmas Day. True? That's why we get New Year's Day, right? You know, it's just a few days later. You know, we get, we get another reprieve from the realities of daily living and all those kind of things. And then we're, as soon as that's over, we're looking forward to another one, a Super Bowl Sunday. Let's, let's rally around that. Then it's uh, let's rally around Memorial Day. Let's rally around Fourth of July, right? Many people in the world, they kind of live, they're always looking to that next date but the Lord Jesus wants us to actually be pressing through day after day and actually living victoriously all throughout those different days and different months of the year. If you're taking notes, I titled our time in God's Word this morning, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow in Christ. Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow in Christ. We'll look at three things this morning. The first is learning from yesterday. I'll just read them off as we go. But the first one is learning from yesterday. You know, we've been called as believers to joy. We've been called to love. And Paul wrote, uh, if we have not love, it profits us nothing, anything else we do. So if we're not growing in love, we're not growing. But we've been called to joy. We've been called to love. We've been called to God's power in our life. Not our own power, because we have none. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. We've been called to God's power in our life. The Lord desires that we mature. Paul says this, as many as are mature, right here in the text. When I was a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away what? Childish things. Now, we loved having the kids up here, but you don't want any of these kids running your life. You want them acting out in plays and singing and stuff like that, but you want maturity as leaders. You want mature Political leaders, you want mature business leaders, you want mature dads, mature moms. The Lord desires that we mature, but also that we press forward in life. And there's two primary things that that we have to gain from the past. We have to learn from the past, and we have to grow from the past. We have to learn from it, we have to grow from it. The enemy desires that we go absolutely nowhere. And actually, not only spin in circles, but go backwards. Understand this. Four things. Understand, God wants us to learn from the past. Satan wants us to live in the past. God wants us to learn from the past. Satan wants us to live in the past. Number two, God wants us to assess the past. Satan wants us to obsess about the past. God wants us to assess the past. Satan wants us to obsess about the past. Even hours ago. 
Not just days, weeks, months. Ten minutes ago. Number three, God wants us to appreciate the past. Satan wants us to exalt the past. You see the difference? God wants us to appreciate the past. Satan wants to exalt the past, especially if we did something good in the past. Because we're not really exalting the past. We're exalting ourselves within it. Something that we or other people consider noteworthy. And the fourth thing, God wants us to focus on his son. Satan wants us to focus on ourselves. And this is what Paul's talking about here. He mentions Christ, uh, his his, uh, power, his resurrection, his suffering, his death. That which Christ Jesus, the goal of God in Christ Jesus, God will reveal all of these things. I focus on the Lord, not ourselves. In Philippians 3.10, it tells us here to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, conform to his death. This is God's plan for our life, to know him, to know him, to fellowship in him. So what is Paul saying when he says, forgetting those things which are behind. You see, Paul's saying, forget everything you've ever seen in the past. That's not what he's saying. Well, in the book of Acts, we know that Paul's testimony is recorded not once, not twice, but three times. It's actually one of the more significant sections in all the New Testament, and it's actually retold on three different occasions. See, what Christ had done years earlier in Paul's life, always understand this about your testimony and my testimony. What God did in Paul's life coming to salvation always remained fresh in his life. Christian, is your personal testament, has it remained fresh in your life? Because Paul said forgetting those things of the past, but yet he tells his testimony three times. So is that a, is that a contradiction? No. No, the testimony, all the things that God had done in bringing Paul to Christ, those things forever remained a springboard in his life for God to do new things. That makes sense? They always remained a springboard for God to do something new in his life. What Paul is saying, among other things, because we don't have time to cover all the things Paul is saying, that single statement, forgetting those things in the past, but among other things, is that the past is meant to be a stepping stone to what God is looking to do and what God is looking to accomplish today and tomorrow through Christ. There it is, through Christ. It's not on our own, through Christ in our lives. The past, as we listen to Christ, is to be a tutor for us. It's a vital source of our learning and maturing. I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot more through failure than I have through success. And anyone that you, you want to read biographies, if you read biographies of the greatest people who ever lived, every single one of them without fail will dedicate chapters of the book of what they learned from failure. Failure is not a bad thing. It's really helpful in our life. Keeps us humble as well. Keeps our eyes on the Lord. You think of all the things that we had an opportunity to learn for in just the past year. Just think back in the last 12 months. January seems like eons ago, doesn't it? But it was still this year. Personally, I, I learned a lot watching Ray McLaughlin. Um, you know, one of the brothers in our church, if you're here and you don't know who Ray is, but uh, just watching him love and care for his wife, I learned a lot watching that. I learned a lot from Paula, his wife, who's now home with the Lord, 
you know, what it means to stay in love with the Word of God, what it means to stay in love with the promises of God. See, it's one thing to quote it when everything is great. It's a whole different ballgame, you know, when you have cancer in your body. You know, we all learned, or relearned, I hope we relearned, uh, what it means to grieve with those who grieve during those times. As we're told, to grieve with those who rejoice with those who rejoice, but to grieve with those who grieve. We collectively learned that God had a plan to move us after nine years right here to 11900 Genito Road. But he never, never gave us any indication of it until April, near the end of April. Wasn't in my notes, wasn't in the plans, wasn't in the leadership plan, but it was in God's plan. And then he didn't even confirm it until August, which gave us a very short ramp-up time. But then again, he called the children of Israel out of Egypt in one night. So, you know, he, he can do big things. We have to relearn these things. All summer, I learned to trust the Lord, to be very patient, to pray before I got on the phone calls and contractual meetings, that uh, I didn't go into business mode and instead to reflect the Lord. And it, because you have to trust the Lord to open doors. You don't kick them open. Trust the Lord, not our own understanding. You know, the world will tell you to kick doors down. Jesus said, I, behold, I open a door that no man can shut, and I shut doors that no man can open. You really want to see doors open and close? Pray. Have the Lord open them. You know, the world's full of people kicking doors down, but they can't kick their way into heaven either. Right? That door only opens and shuts by the Lord Jesus Christ. In September and October, we learned a lot of, uh, about things that in and of themselves aren't spiritual in nature. We learned about, um, but I will say, even though they weren't spiritual in nature, they are spiritual hurdles and spiritual kind of walls you have to go through. Uh, we learned about sump pumps <laughs> on, a, on a Wednesday night. That was a lot of fun. The basement filled up with water. We learned about septic grain fields, electrical wiring, plumbing, flooring, painting on different surfaces, how soon you should be painting, and how much wet should still be out there. Lighting, audio, video, lock six systems, project management, timelines, and teamwork. And even though we had subject matter experts, we still learned because every situation is different and every situation has its own unique set of circumstances, doesn't it? I don't care how much you know about any one thing in life, a new thing will challenge you. Every time. Think about all the other things we've learned or we've had an opportunity to learn from. There's teachings we've heard. Now, some of them you heard personally, some of them you heard face-to-face. -face. Uh, there's radio broadcasts maybe you listen to. There's internet broadcasts that perhaps you listen to. All those are good. I mean, we've got a lot of resources as believers today that we can, we can put them on our iPods or iPhones or whatever else and listen to teaching. Uh, but with a lot of teaching to whom much is given, much is what? Required. So if we learn a lot, or at least we are hearing a lot, we have a lot to act on, opportunities to grow from these things. We have uh, opportunities um, in our own personal time in the Word, uh, maybe books we've read. Things people have said to us, and they didn't know they were speaking for the Lord, but we kind of realized, hey, that was from God. Sometimes we told them, sometimes we didn't. Uh, there's those times where someone was speaking to someone else, and it was actually for us. 
You ever been in those situations? So A is talking to B, and C is not in the conversation. Actually, C is the one God wanted to hear it. I'm not talking about over-listening or being a busybody. I'm just saying you were there, and God wanted you to hear it or me to hear it. And did those things stick? Did they stick? Did we apply them? Or can we only quote them? Big difference, isn't it? Did they stick or apply? James wrote to the, to the church to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Did we forget altogether? I can't, ever, I can't remember what I read last year. Can't remember anything I heard. Can't remember two things. Can't remember what I got for Christmas two days ago. In 2 Thessalonians 2.5, Paul said, Do you not remember when I was still with you that I told you these things? Do you not remember? It takes intentionality to remember things, doesn't it? Well, when you get older, you really have to work on remembering, don't you? you write it down. You've got to work on remembering these things. Did we take the time to remember the things we've heard? It's why I encourage you uh, all to take notes. Uh, one of the things that, we'll, that we're going to have in the bookstore that I want to have is, uh, how many of you listen to Dr. Charles Stanley on the radio sometimes? He has a great uh, note-taking book for church services. And one of the things I want in there is a note is Dr. Charles Stanley's note-taking book. It's not that there aren't others. You could use any journal. But he's got little things in there and little quotes that he's quoted from down through the years. And even though I love Calvary Chapel pastors, I love a lot of other pastors too. And so we're going to have one of those in there. So we've got to get the bookstore up. But that'll be in there. And so it's an encouragement. You don't have to write notes. You're not going to be told to leave if you don't write notes. God might keep telling you to write notes. But it, why? Because we write the things down, we have a better chance of remembering it. We can refer back to it. I encourage people to take notes on a Sunday and Wednesday service, but also when you're in devotions, write in your Bible. Date. Write things. I can go back and say, man, did I need to know that that happened three years ago, and I'll even put up what was going on in my life then, and boy, does it give encouragement for that day. We write, use journals. We can review these things. What about the unexpected and unpleasant learning of maybe the last 12 months? I mentioned Ray and his family's painful loss. But many, if not all of us, have had some level of difficulties and pain. I mean, it, in varying degrees, some more than others. Some years are tougher than others. Some years are way tougher than others, looking back. By God's grace, every year is not identical. But we can look back and we'll have... Some level of pain, difficulties, disappointments, maybe health issues. Some of you may be financial challenges, employment issues, perhaps some relationship struggles, or something you thought, how about this, something you thought would be successful but was an utter failure. You thought it would be successful, you thought it would work, but it didn't work. Why did God allow these things? Yeah, people ask why a lot. And books have been written, why God, why this, why that? Why did God allow this to happen or this not to work? Was there really something to be gained or gleaned from? Well, absolutely. Everything God allows in our life, things that he has allowed to happen to us or in our lives are things that he wants us to learn from. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you know this passage, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man, but God is what? Faithful. The context of that specific verse, and, and those of you that are 
Bible scholars, or you like to study the context of that verse, is absolutely the temptation of Satan dangling something to lure you, right? We would think of sensual things, or when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, hey, I'll give you all the kings in the world, just kind of do what I ask, dangling something in front of it. That's the context of that passage. But it's not uh, the only thing. The primary me- meaning of the word there is temptation. Uh, but in the Greek, hirasmos, it means trial or proving. So it's not just things that are dangling. It also can be any kind of trial, any kind of difficulty. And what does that tell us? Well, everything we've gone through is common to humanity. Somewhere around the world, someone had a year almost identical to yours. Somewhere around the world, someone's going through something just like yours. Probably other people in Chesterfield County, probably other people in the state. Maybe even other people, more than likely other people in this very room. It's not uncommon, but God is faithful. God was testing our faith. He's testing our spiritual ears. Are we going to write it down? Are we going to learn from it? And our tests are common. But our Lord is not common. Our Lord is way bigger than the problems that he would allow to come our way. But he's faithful to help us through them. So how do we react to difficulties? Kind of thinking in your mind, how did I react? How did I react this morning when so-and-so spilled the milk all over the floor? That's usually someone small, but it can be another adult too. How do I react to difficulties and challenges? The unexpected darts that landed squarely in your back. Or hit you from the front. Pastor Chuck Swindoll said years ago, and you've, you've probably heard that he's, it's been written in his books, but he, he still quotes it. But he said years ago, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. Life is 10%. I, I believe that's true. Some of you that are more seasoned in life than I am, you, I would hope, would agree. But it, for me, as after 46 years, I really believe that I can look back and say it's always my response. He says 10%, but uh, 90% of it is how we respond. This is true. Our perspective and our response is really all we have, right? That's all we have. All we have is how we react to things because we always are going to react. One way or another, we're reacting. Temper tantrum, depressed, angry, frustrated. I'll prove that you're just as bad as I am. I'll make sure, oh, I got a list for you too. All those things, how we respond to things. I'm reminded of how a husband and wife responded to one another in the face of some disagreements they were having. And they began giving each other the silent treatment. The next day, the man realized that he would need his wife to wake him up at 5 a.m. for an early morning business flight. Not wanting to be first to break the silent treatment, he wrote on a piece of paper, Put it beside her pillow. Please wake me up at 5 a.m. Next morning, the man woke up, only discovered it was 7 a.m. He had missed his flight. Furious, he was about to go and see why his wife hadn't woken up when he noticed a piece of paper by the bed, and it said, it is 5 a.m., wake up. (laughs) And this is how we often respond you respond in an unchristlike way, I will respond in an unchristlike way. You respond from the flesh, I'll respond from the flesh. You give the silent treatment, I give the silent treatment. 
Husbands and wives, I hope you've learned in your 2015 responses. But guess what? Even if you didn't respond correctly to disagreements or difficulty, if you've yet to respond with pressing into Jesus and gaining his perspective, gaining his guidance, gaining his comfort, here's the good news. It's not too late. It's not too late. You're alive. You're sitting in a chair, and it's the 28th of December. It's not too late. Not too late for us to press in. Paul says, I press on. I press toward. But what about our response to ourselves? There are the many mistakes we made personally. Um, things we set out to do and just never did them. Anyone else have any of those this year? Things you set out to do and you never did. Boy, it was on the list. Kept falling down again. Further down the list it would go. Things we ignored but should have paid attention to. I'm not going to ask for a show of hand, but I would guess there are things that everyone here has ignored that they should have paid attention to. By the way, once you realize that about yourself, you'll give people a lot more grace. We give people a lot of grief about what they didn't do. And God's like, step over here to my office for just a second. Let's review your list. You will become a much more gracious leader, parent, mentor of people. And I'm not saying that you just flippantly, oh, it doesn't matter because I don't do my list, you don't do your list. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul's saying. He's talking about pressing on and pressing in. But at the same time, there's these things that, that we should have paid attention to, but we didn't. Things that I bet we'd go back and do differently. But we don't get to go back and do them because that time has already gone by. We can't redo yesterday, but we can learn from yesterday and adjust to it today. We can be maturing or we can be moping. Those are options. We can be maturing or moping about the things that we failed at, the things that we didn't do, but we can't simultaneously do both. You can't do either maturing or moping. They don't go hand in hand. But we all have those times, and God wants us to snap out of it and come to our senses and look and say that we would be conformed to him, his power, his resurrection. But again, understand that even when we look back at the mistakes, how do we respond to it? Christian, don't abuse God's grace, but don't ignore God's grace. Don't abuse it. There is no such thing as cheap, easy grace. Ah, God's grace allows me to do anything I want. No. But at the same time, God's grace really is there for the many times we stumble and fall. A righteous man may fall seven times, but God will keep getting him back up, dusting him off. Don't abuse the grace, but don't ignore the grace. Because it's paramount in transforming our life. Let's look at the next thing, if you're taking notes. And even if you're not taking notes, let's look at the next thing. Living out today. Living out today. We looked at learning from yesterday. How about living out today? So Paul says, but I press on. I press toward. The sad reality for so many believers is that there was a time when they were more in love with Christ than they are today. Maybe some of you in this room. There was a time when they were more in love with Jesus than they are today. 
when they were walking more by faith. They thought they could take that mountain. Remember Joshua and Caleb? Twelve spies go in. Joshua and Caleb, we can do this. We can do it because our God will smoke them. The other ten, like, we can't. They're giants. There's no way we can do it. Have you seen their spirit? Have you seen their size? Have you seen their armies? Joshua, so what? God just beat Pharaoh to a pulp. There was times when walking more in faith, more in love with Christ, and had a greater heart for reaching out and serving other people. Maybe in this room, but that sad reality is many in the body of Christ have taken steps backwards in their love for the Lord. There was a time when you you couldn't be kept away from church. There was a time when certain people, the doors were open. I know this is an old-time thing I've said in the 50s. We need to re-say it again. When the doors were open, we were there, right? Why? Not out of legalism, out of love for Jesus. It wasn't legalism. I used to tell my coworker when I was by vocation, you've heard me say it, he said, you know, yeah, talking about he was, in the go- he was on the golf course every Sunday and I would be at church before I was a pastor. And I would tell him, look, I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. For you, it's a labor. For me, it's a love. It's a big difference. There's a time when you couldn't keep some people away from church. Now, numerous things are more important. I mean, this is something that the church is struggling with around the United States is that many things are now more important to people than worshiping God, learning His Word, and fellowship with other saints. Now, I'm not saying that we should live in a building like this. We're going to talk about that next week. We've got a whole world out there to reach. But yet, at the same time, this locker room has to be used well, right? With the chalkboard, if you will, the game plan. There was a time when people never missed time Studying the Word, prayer, personal devotion. There was a time when many believers were serving, and not just serving because they felt obligated, but with joy. They actually had joy about it. They couldn't look, wait to look, see what God would do through them. And when Paul is saying, I'm pressing toward, I'm pressing on, I'm forgetting those things. Paul says, I'm forgetting those things in the past. What is Paul talking? He's not only talking about forgetting those things where he messed up, where he failed, where he himself was a failure. He's not just talking about forgetting those things. Paul's also saying that a Christian that can only speak of their past spiritual victories, the passion for Christ that they used to have, the things that God used to show them in the Word, that person is living in present failure. That person is living in present... Paul's like... That's not who I am. The Lord is giving me new victories. Oftentimes when I'll have coffee with someone, I'll meet with someone, I'll say, what's God showing you right now? Uh, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's, well. But now that the question is not to make them feel uncomfortable. It's to stir them to get back on and move forward. Right? But if God is showing them, then it's just a, hey, let's just Take time and praise together. What is God showing you? What book are you reading? What book of the Bible are you in? All those kind of things. David remembered his past victories over a lion and a bear for a specific reason. You know what it was? Goliath. 
David remembered defeating a lion and a bear. Why? Because God says you're going to meet one even tougher than both of them. Goliath. You know, uh, David didn't say, hey, listen here, everyone. I've had some big victories. And if I'd have met Goliath back in the day, I'd have taken him. That would have been a, that would have been a really sad Bible story, wouldn't it? <laughs> if that was the story. But that's the, that's the story of many Christians. Boy, if you'd have met me when I was 20, I did street witnessing. I did this. I did that. I used to teach Sunday school. I used to go here. I used to go there. I used to read. I read the entire Bible one year. How about last year? <laughs> I don't do that stuff anymore. That's sad. See, David could be counted on to fight Goliath because he wasn't living in the past, but he had learned it was a stepping stone for him. He was moving forward. No, David, like Paul, was pressing in and pressing on. His past faith, get this, Christian, his past faith was igniting his present faith into action. His past faith was igniting his present faith into action. It wasn't a dead autobiography of, you should have seen me back in the day. Those stories are good for our high school football, basketball and stuff, but they're not to be for our Christian walk. We can be, um, well, let me say this. Jesus said to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2.10, Jesus speaking, Revelation 2.10, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Now, does Jesus, is Jesus against the church in Ephesus? You think he's against the church of Ephesus? What's he saying? I have this against you. He's saying, I have this that needs to be corrected in your life. He's not against. Whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens. If you don't correct your kids, they're going to live someday begging everyone else to help them out constantly. Right? So discipline, Jesus disciplines it. This, you've left your first love. That's dangerous in a marriage, isn't it? Any of you want your spouse to leave their first love? Why would, we want, why would Jesus want anything less than you wouldn't want for your spouse? He doesn't want us to leave our first love in a marriage, and we're married to Christ. So he has every right as our husband in the faith and as our Savior to say, you've left your first love, come back. We can be down or depressed because of past failures, and sometimes we are, aren't we? We can be defeated and weary due to past trials, even very recent trials. But just as much, just as much as being defeated or down, uh, we can also be sound asleep today spiritually because life is going relatively smoothly. We can be sound asleep because life is going relatively smoothly. And we have some spiritual trophies on the, on the mantle that we can look at. <laughs> Things are going great. There's what I did last, well, 10 years ago. There's what I did, uh, you know, got some spiritual trophies on the, on the mantle. Things are going relatively smoothly. It, we can point to that as our evidence of commitment to Christ. But you know, if Jesus walked in the room, we wouldn't point to him. We only point them to ourselves and other people. By the way, that, that would never work in the business world. It doesn't work in the sports world. Why would we think it works? The spiritual realm. Try telling that to the team that hasn't won in 10 years. Try telling that to your boss. Well, three years ago, I was employee of the year. Right? You know the world's terminology. It's what have you done for me lately? Now, but Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say what have you done for me lately. 
He never says that to us. No, the Holy Spirit will ask us, what am I doing presently in you? He doesn't say, what have you done for me? Because there's nothing you can do for Jesus. But he's like, what am I doing in you? Same chapter, I mean, same book, same letter. In Philippians 4.13, a little verse you kind of probably have heard, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's through him. Not what have you done for me? What have I been doing in and through you? And notice Paul's emphasis in verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, one thing I do. Christian, what is the one thing you do that people would notice about Christ in your life? People say, man, if there's one thing about that person that Man, I see that as the life of Christ in their life. Would people, you know the old adage, would there be enough evidence to convict us of being a believer? The world had to try us. People like, I didn't know you go to church. Right? And we, we all have places where our light has not shined like it should. I'm not saying I'm doing bad. It's just it's the power of God not flowing through our life. The spirit of Christ not flowing in our life. And Jesus says, come back. That you would be, like verse 10, that you would be, uh, know him and the power of his resurrection. That that power would be in our life. Paul uh, presses on in verse 12. He says, I, uh, I pre- uh, verse 12, yeah, verse 12, I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He presses on to fulfill what Christ has prepared. Uh, brother and sister, we want to grab what Christ has prepared for us. Don't you want, think about this, do you really want what Jesus has prepared for you? Most of you wanted the Christmas gift that somebody prepared for you. Eh, every now and then you're disappointed, say, that's not me, I don't wear that kind of thing, you know, whatever it might be. But you still were looking forward to it. Well, Jesus doesn't make any mistake. It'll be the right size, it'll be the right color, it'll fit everything we actually need in our life. We want to lay hold of the things that he's prepared for us. Is that you and me? Or are we pressing toward what we want? Charles May said, make sure the thing you're living for is worth dying for. Make sure the thing you're living for is worth dying for. That's where Paul says here that we would be conformed to his death and his sufferings because living for him is worth it. Now, it's interesting um, I mentioned a few things of the past 12 months, and there's many things that you could mention, many other things I could have mentioned. But think about today. You know, we can look at the last 12 months, but today, um, it's 20 minutes to 12, or maybe 22 minutes to 12. For those of you that are not watching your watch, thank you. But anyway, it's 22 minutes to 12. I'm watching it for you, don't worry. It's, it's tw- about, you know, we've had less than 12 hours since we've been awake. Unless you never went to bed last night, then you've got longer. But, uh, but of this particular calendar day, we've had less than 12 hours. We can look back on 12 months, but today, we only have today. We don't have all that other time. We only have what's left in the, in the remainder of today. God is not like us. He's not bound by time. Did you know God is right now in the past? And he's right now in the present, and he's right now in the future, and then he's outside of time altogether. He's not bound by it. He sees it all like we see a map. 
we decide daily to press in or check out. Daily, press in or check out. We decide minute by minute, hour by hour. Remember the the old hymn, I need thee every hour, right? Because we're constantly either pressing into the Lord or pulling away. One of the dichotomies of the Christian life is this as well, that we're to be walking, where Paul mentions the word uh, in verse 16, he says, let us walk by the same rule, this word walk. Um, the dichotomy, it, or it seems, is that we're to be walking, but we're also to be waiting. How do we wait and walk? Well, I kind of think about it like this. If, um, if you hadn't got any of your morning, let's say you hadn't got any morning exercise, and you broke down in front of a, you broke down in front of a school, and you have a chance there to say, the tow truck's not going to be there for an hour, and they have a track. You can walk and wait at the same time, right? Because you're able to do something productive while at the same time you have to wait. Well, this is the Christian life a lot of time. While we're pressing in the Lord, some of the things we're pressing in the Lord, he hasn't answered certain prayers yet. But you still have to press forward while you're waiting for God to deliver whatever it may be that we need in our life. So we're walking, but we're also waiting in the Lord. This same word walk is used here by Paul in Romans. It's used in 1 Corinthians. It's used in Galatians. It's used in Ephesians. It's used, obviously, here in Philippians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Now, walking seems boring to people that are into, like, all kinds of triathlons and stuff. Walking, that's for wimps. I swim eight miles through shark-infested waters, and I climb this, and I run through the mud, and then they zap me with electrical stuff, and all that. That's amazing. And I come back on Monday, I tell all my coworkers, I did it, look at it. Right? But that's walking. That's boring. That's for people that walk the mall, right? You know, that you know, they do the morning mall walk thing. But the Christian life is, it's gonna take a slow, steady pace. Or we're gonna, or we're gonna check out altogether. It's not a sprint. It's not just a a weekend thing. It's continually, day after day in life. The emphasis here and throughout Paul's epistles, the walking is for the Christian to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward, one step at a time. Keep maturing. Maturing takes time. Many of of you husbands, your wives, will tell us you're still immature. And if we heard all the goofy things you say around the house, we'd really think, no, I'm kidding. No, I'm not kidding. No, it actually would happen, right? But spiritually speaking, you know, we can actually have fun, obviously, but God wants us to keep maturing, and it, and it is a slow process. You know, we realize now we're not, wow, I should be way more mature by now. Now, like I said, the writer of Hebrews said, many of you should be teachers already. That's what the writer of Hebrews said. Many of you haven't matured to the place that God has called. Like, move forward. Come on, press in. Press forward. Writer Hebrews also said to lay aside every hindrance, to lay aside every weight in our life. And the ones that we can lay aside, we've got to start trying. God, help me. Bad habits. And you don't break them all overnight. You start working on them little by little. God, help me. Day by day. Now, some, some hindrances we can't lay aside. True? They're outside of our control. We need God to move them for us. For these things, we patiently wait for God to intercede 
and to intervene. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, listen to this verse. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. Paul said, I intended to be there. Now, if I had this morning broken down on the way in and no one answered their cell call, I can promise you I would have intended to be here. But there's certain things that are outside of our control. And we still then press into where? In the spiritual realm, in the prayer life, in the Lord saying, Lord, you can go before that. You can remove the hurdle. Some health issues God allows as a hindrance temporarily and maybe for longer periods of time in our life. You can try and mend a relationship with someone, but if they won't forgive you, you can't mend it. True? You can forgive them, but they still have to forgive you. Maybe a job schedule. You recently got saved. I remember when I first got saved, and I remember a lot of people at Calvary Fort Lauderdale, they get saved and they wanted to be at church Sunday and Wednesday, but they couldn't change their schedule overnight. But every time, every single thing in my life, every single thing in my life where God put on my heart, I should be there, I prayed about God and moved schedules. If God hasn't moved your schedule, maybe you haven't prayed about it yet. Because he will alter heaven and earth to make sure you have time to be with his people, to be with him. I promise you he will not fail. But it won't come overnight sometimes. He'll want to know, do you really want that? If you don't really want that, you won't really pray that. But if you pray it, he can move those things, and he's the one that can remove those hindrances. Satan tried to prevent Paul from coming. Did Paul finally get there? Yes. Because God says, pray through it, and I'll remove the hindrance. Maybe there's a ministry you'd like to serve in. Not a possibility just yet. But there may be something God wants you to learn first before you take on that responsibility. Sometimes Christian walking in the Lord is easier than other times, isn't it? It's like sometimes finishing a task is easier than others. Uh, this message that I prepared for did not come easy. It was like pulling teeth for me to put this one down on paper. Maybe it's like pulling teeth listening to it. I don't know. <laughs> but the, but the, uh, when I, the, the poem I wrote came with me, it just flowed. I don't know why sometimes things come easier than other times. That's the way life is. Some days just are a grind, Right? That's why you got to talk to the Lord. You just continue to press forward, and you're pressing forward in the mind more than the body, in the spirit more than in the body. You are spiritually putting one foot in front of the other, and God gains victory through that. It's called perseverance in the Scriptures. Perseverance. You ever put something together, and you're cruising right along until you can't find one piece? Where is it in the bag? How are they of three but not four, right? And there's a delay, and you got to wait. You call the 800 number, and you're on there a long time. Finally, they say, yeah, we have that piece. Why is it in the bag? We don't know. We'll send it to you. And it will be there three days. So it sits there on the side. That's the way life is sometimes, isn't it? God gives us, he allows those delays to see again, how do we respond? We still press forward. Delays can come. It may take longer, but you still have to finish. You still have to press forward. So many things. And most often our feelings. But other distractions hinder us from our progress in the Christian life. That's why Paul Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. To look at all the things that can stop and hinder us and you know, wave in a flag. Come over here. Be distracted. Be sidetracked. Feelings, again, are always there. 
to press on is to walk forward, even when you're bored. This is tough to, when you're talking to teenagers, you know, I see Scott and Julie work, they do a great job with our teens, and we have a couple of teens now, and we, we know that boredom also affects adults. But boring things, God allows many things to be boring to see, will you do it anyway? Right? People that can be entrusted with boring things, God can entrust with really big things. That's what Jesus said. I'll give you one small little brick. See what you do with it. Right? Boring. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes maybe you're uninspired. Sometimes you're frustrated. Sometimes you're completely unsure. Sometimes you and I are feeling weak and weary. All those things. Sometimes you feel all those in the same day. You ever had that? All on the same day. I had it all this morning. Great. You're in the right place. But you commit to pressing forward anyway, to laying hold. Paul had a lot more difficult. I, I haven't been bit by snakes, shipwrecked, all these things, beaten to the point of death, all these things he had. And yet, he didn't have a boring life, I'll tell you that right now. But, uh, but he continued to press forward. Christian, don't trust your feelings. You may not feel married at the moment, but you still are. You may not feel like a parent. You may, even, you may have forgotten the last hour you have kids because they're over there being taken care of, but you're still a parent. And they'll let you know it in just a few minutes. I'm hungry. i got to go potty. All the other things. You may not feel like going back to work tomorrow, but I suggest you do. Right? Your boss will suggest you do. Today in the scheme of life, today in this moment may not seem all that important. It's not, nothing special about today. may not seem that important, but it's all the little moments of today that make it all important. Today is when we choose to press in the Lord. We can't choose for yesterday. Today is when we choose for. Most of our todays will seem mundane, especially redoing the same things. We're going to re-pray and re-read. How is this going to... But those roots are going deeper and deeper and deeper. It's called spiritual dis discipline. Some of you are in the Marine Corps. Boy, they make you do some of the same thing. You're going to make the bed the same way every day. You're going to do the same push-up, same running, same brown T-shirt, and we're going to make men out of you, right? That's what, but God says, I'm going to make spiritual soldiers, warriors, men like Paul that will battle, men like Moses, women like Mary and Esther and Ruth, because every mundane thing done again and again just draws us closer to the Lord. That plant doesn't look like it's grown, but that tree, you look, go back and mark it a few years later, it's, it's taller than it used to be. We've got several in our yard like that. They now need to be trimmed. You're free to do it anytime you want to do it. <laughs> Alistair Begg said the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. The main things are the plain things. The plain or most essential truths in Scripture is how we got saved. The simplicity even a child could grasp. The plain things are supernatural when they're believed and acted upon. They have the power to save us, but they also have the power to radically change us. And likewise, the plain or simple habits and the commitments in our Christian life will have the biggest impact over time. Don't watch the clock on it. Just do it. Growth is a slow process of daily diligence and all the small things. All the little things make up the whole of our growth. 
trusting while we're doing it. Maybe there's someone you're still mad at. Things like that will be a barrier. So you've got to remove the barriers today. You can't wait till tomorrow. You've got to remove that as a barrier. It's a barrier to God's blessing in our life. Maybe the Lord's asking you to give. Say, so I'm not going to give. Well, then, there goes the washing machine. Right? There goes this. There goes it. You know, God will get our attention one way or another. Maybe he's uh, saying, hey, I want you to serve people and love people. I'm not going to do it. Well, then you'll have strife in other areas. God will not... Whom he loves, he's going to, he's going to make, he'll, he'll turn every edge, he'll fix anything to get our attention. But it's all for love. He wants to bless our lives. He wants to use us. He wants us, to, again, verse 10, to understand his relationship, his power, his fellowship, and his full surrender. Jesus was fully surrendered to the will of the Father. That's where God's trying to bring us to, fully surrendered to the will of the Lord. Last, last thing as we close, looking to tomorrow. Looking to tomorrow, Paul said, I press on, I press towards the goal. I love that he says that I may lay hold of what Christ Jesus has already laid hold of me. And then he says, and I press towards the goal of the prize. There's a prize coming that we cannot fathom in the future. Some of the prizes we can realize in 2016. Some of the things in our life we don't realize we're hindering God's miracles in our life. Maybe there's someone God's going to save, and when we yield in one area, all of a sudden the floodgates open. I know I've been a hindrance to things in my life. How about you? I am guarantee I've been a hindrance to some people at times, and then when the Lord spotlights it, what are we going to do? When we look to the future, we're believing, not wishing. Disney is like when you wish upon a star, you know, all that stuff. But not with God. It's not wishing, it's believing. Because we actually have a hope that will not disappoint. An author who is unknown said, what you live is what you believe. What you live is actually what you believe. If I believe that God holds my future, and I believe that his best for me is better than anything I can come up with, I'm going to follow his blueprint. Christian, we can have genuine joy and should have genuine joy because of the promises of God. Turn with me real quick to Jeremiah 29. I know you, you might know these passages, but I want you to see them anyway. We'll have to finish quickly here. But Jeremiah 29, verse 11. These are verses that I refer to back on a regular basis. I go back to these verses, uh, 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Is that still true? I love it. Chapter 30. Turn over. It's one chapter away. Maybe this verse will be a blessing to you. Uh, uh, chapter 30, verse 17. For I restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord. When God encourages, it gives you incredibly, incredible fortitude and strength. Uh, chapter 31, verse 3. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 30, Jeremiah 31. The whole year, you might want to keep turning back to them in the coming year. And reread those verses. And if you feel like, well, I don't know, if I press it in, just reread those verses, and God will say, now come on, get back up. You failed, you, you missed that, this, that, and the other, you weren't thinking about it. I still love you with an everlasting love. I'm still going to restore health to you. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your health. 
You know, God does not need your HMO to heal you. Isn't that great? I'm looking forward to some of you being healed in 2016 and God saying, and you didn't have to go to a doctor for it because I'm going to fix it zero cost. He'll give us more than we can give him, amen? He holds the future and he holds us. Paul says, that which Christ has laid hold of me. Am I holding on to Jesus or is Jesus holding on to me? Yes. But the more important thing is he's holding on to me. Yeah, I'm holding on to him too, but even when I slip, sometimes my hand lets go, his never lets go. Everything he's doing to bring us to him. And I want to close with, with this as we think about the future. The Lord put this song on my heart. Robert Chisholm, he wrote this poem in 1923. And, uh, and by the way, I, I, you know, as I mentioned on uh, Christmas Eve night, a lot of hymns were written as poetry. I didn't know this one was written as poetry. I actually woke up one morning, and this song was in my head, and the Lord just said, close with it. I didn't hear audibly. But anyway, just impressed with the Spirit. And in 1923, Robert Chisholm wrote this poem about God's faithfulness over the course of his life. And then he sent the poem to a man by the name of William Runyon, who was with the Moody Bible Institute in Hope Publishing. And then it was set to music, and it was published that very year a little less than 100 years ago. And it's been blessing the body of Christ ever since. And these are the words. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thou, thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, Join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. You ever heard that? And then it goes on to say, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And Lord, it's my prayer that for me personally and my brothers and sisters that are here, that we would believe and act with new faith, faith that's ignited from the faith that you planted with our salvation, we would act on that original faith. It would ignite into new, springing forth of joy in our life. Lord, you desire to do more than we could ask, think, or imagine in us, in our families, and in this church in the coming year. Help us to learn and grow from our past mistakes, our past failures. Lord, help us to remember that we only have today to put our faith into action, to trust in you, to walk as we wait for you to do what only you can do. And Lord, that we would see the miracles, healings, salvations, maybe a job that somebody needs, out of debt, all the things that, uh, Lord, we, we would pray that you would move mountains on behalf of your people. But Lord, we would first just move into your presence for you to move those mountains. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.